0: Hello, Ambush, and welcome to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. Here with me, your host, Colton G, and today on the show, we're joined by pop artist Michaela Slinger, and we, oh, we're just going to dive into a Michaela's highly anticipated debut, full-length. Album Panorama And we are going to dive into the road That leads up to Panorama Because with this album Michaela's trying to capture The past 24 years of her life So we're going to dive into that process From the moment of coming out Of her first single Flux in 2019 To signing to 604 Records in 2020 When did the process of crafting this album truly begin. Who helped her bring Panorama to life inside of the studio? We're also gonna dive into some of the songs off this new debut album, like one of Michaela's latest singles, Too Good To Be Great. We're also gonna dive into the incredibly fun music video for that track too, and what it was like to capture all of the uh, vibes That they do within it. We're going to dive into all of this and oh, oh, so much more here today with Michaela Slinger. And it's all brought to you today by DesertTigerMerch.com, where you go to copy yourself something to represent and support the show everywhere you go. Now that you know who the episode is brought to you by, and now that you know who our guest is... I think it's about time that we jump into this conversation with Michaela Slinger. So, let's go. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Hello? Hello, hello.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: I'm doing fantastic today. How are you?
1: I'm well. It's a beautiful day in Vancouver, so no complaints.
0: Ah, it's uh, very, very lovely down here in Kamloops as well. So it seems like a sunny day across BC.
1: Oh, Kamloops. Nice. Yeah,
0: so not too, too far away. Still a drive. <laughs> not
1: too far. Tournament capital of Canada or whatever it is. Spent many a summer there for soccer.
0: Okay, nice, nice. It's pretty hype. <sighs> you were a soccer player before then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did a, did a little bit of everything. Performing, soccer, had to choose in university.
0: Okay, okay. Fair, fair. Well, clearly uh, you made the choice for music because that has brought us together here today.
1: I did, yeah. I think I think my uh, my soccer dreams would have stopped naturally then, anyways. Don't think I was uh, going for the Olympic team, so I'm happy with my choice.
0: <laughs> fair, fair. It seems to be going well for you so far. So I think that helps to enforce the decision. So far, so good. <laughs> well, it can your debut album's just about out here. So I mean, hopefully, hopefully it just continues to go up from here then.
1: Yeah, it's pretty exciting.
0: Agreed, agreed. So, and that's what brings us here today. So your first single releases in 2019. At the beginning of 2020, you signed with 604 Records. So when did you actually begin to craft Panorama, this debut album? Was this before signing with 604 Records? Was it around the same time you released your debut single? When did this begin to come together?
1: Yeah, I guess it wasn't. I mean, sometimes I think artists, you know, go away and write an album in a couple weeks. This was very much like Panorama is very much a compilation of songs from over the past couple years. Um, so before I signed with Six Hundred Four, uh, I think even before I'd released Flux, I was working with Louise Burns. Um, she kind of connected me to the the Six Hundred Four community, but she's a producer and an artist there. Um, and we actually made an EP that I was going to release independently. And then kind of kept working on stuff with her and collaborating with my other producer, Kevy, and was writing a whole bunch more. So, one, one, no, two songs off of that EP are on Panorama. Um, but I was writing a lot kind of from the end of 2018 to into 2020 when we sort of pieced together the full album.
0: Okay. Okay. So you had pretty much something else already in the tank, and then just pieces of it get moved on to this new project then. So, what two pieces of that story got moved into Panorama here?
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was a the EP I recorded that's unreleased was five songs. So the two that made it onto Panorama are You Are the City, which is track two, um, and then Long Love, which is the second to last song. So one is very kind of like upbeat, shimmery, indie vibes, and then the other one is more of like an, an acoustic love song. So There's a couple other tracks that didn't make the cut. Who knows? Maybe one day. I still like them.
0: Oh, it's it. As you never know, it's maybe there's a line that can be repurposed somewhere down the future or you never know what when something gets written. It can still have life so much later down the line. Exactly. All right. All right. So the rest of these songs, did they begin to get crafted after you made the decision to go for a debut album then?
1: Um. I don't really, for the most part, I don't really set out to write songs, you know, with like a a business intention. I think I'm just always writing and I have like eight bajillion ideas on my phone and on my computer on GarageBand. So I was just kind of writing. Um, But because I was starting to network with producers and and co-writers and chat with the label, I was quite inspired and it sort of put fuel in the fire for me to keep writing. Um, But in terms of actually realizing, oh, I might be doing a full album and I want to, create more songs. You know, I was writing into the latter half of 2019 and early 2020. And that was when I was kind of working with 604. But there are definitely some songs I wrote that that kind of preceded that situation that I was just writing for fun.
0: Okay. Okay. So one thing that I've read is with Panorama, you're trying to capture 24 years of your life. So to try and Put that down into 12 tracks. How was it like to curate all of these songs that you had built up over this time?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's an incomplete picture, as as most things are. But I think, you know, there's lots of different sounds and styles genre-wise. Like, there's some songs that feel closer to my earlier style of writing that was quite, like, acoustic, singer-songwriter-driven. Um there are songs that really um, have the spirit of the like first moments when I bought a MIDI keyboard and was making demos on GarageBand. Like there's a lot of, that's why I like working with my my two producers that I work with is they like to keep a lot of the elements that I program initially on demos and like retain that spirit. So for me listening, obviously I kind of know the music the best, but it's quite a, a journey from like just writing on the guitar to figuring out how to, see music as more of a writer and a producer and a singer to some of my later songs that were like in the studio or in the writing room collaborations or riffing off of each other. So kind of like any any writing setup um, we have on this album. And I think each time it creates a different song.
0: So just not only being a myriad of the first 24 years of your life, but also a myriad of all the different songwriting styles and things that went into creating this piece of yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Nice. Cool. Cool. So let's dive into one of these tracks and how you and Kevi and I can't remember the other producer's off name off the Luis. top of my head. Oh, Luis. Luis. All right. My apologies, Luis. But So let's talk about one of these tracks and how it ended up evolving. Let's take this last single that is released, Too Good To Be Great, a very energetic and fun song, but it seems to be sort of tackling um, more of a serious idea there. So how do you bring that energy and make it what it is now?
1: Yeah, well, that writing process... I think it's it's pretty typical of how I write. I was out for a walk and had a lyric idea. And so I came home and I wrote initially the whole song on the guitar um, and actually performed the song a lot acoustically before COVID. So it felt like it could stand its ground as an acoustic song. But then I also put it on GarageBand and was trying to demo it and figure out what it should sound like as a, a full song. And we ended up using some of the backing tracks that I had created, but there was a lot in terms of like the percussion and the guitar and even some of the chords being minor initially that we ended up changing. So that's why it's so incredible to collaborate is I took that initial idea, like I'd written the majority of the song and the melody was all there, but then I put it in the hands of Kevin and Louise and the three of us are chatting and they kind of figure out alongside me the identity of the song and what it needs. So then I think we're at Kevy's place and we were working on it and he was laying stuff down on Logic and then, you know, we do the final touches in the like big studio at 604, but it kind of travels around. It goes from my living room to Kevin's place with the three of us to 604 studio with like an engineer and maybe people coming in for backing vocals. So it was a process for sure. This was actually, we just, the three of us kind of chatted about it for a video that I, I posted about breaking down the song, but that was a tricky one. <laughs> it had a lot of different versions. And honestly, it didn't feel right to me until we got like the 10th mix back which if you know about the mixing process, like for a lot of the notes we were making, it was far too late in the game. We were making production notes in mixing. Well, I was, but it, it ended up working out for the best because now it's one of my favorite songs.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's good that the team was willing to work around and make sure that even no matter when these notes were coming in, that the song was still getting the amount of attention and as much like various looks at it so that it could shine as much as possible.
1: Yes, totally. There was maybe maybe by force, maybe by me just being persistent over text and email. There was definitely a lot of attention being spent on this song.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you happen to mention how the producers helped to bring various things to this song. And it's always nice to have that extra set of ears to maybe hear something a way that maybe we ourselves don't. So what would you say otherwise that Luis and Kevy added to this recording process?
1: Oh my God. I mean, so much. I think I was trying to figure out an analogy to kind of describe what a producer does to people who aren't in the music industry, because I think the offhanded and I think like just totally incorrect way is like, Oh, it's just somebody that turns knobs or like, it just couldn't be further from the truth. I feel like they are the, I guess they're sort of like what an editor is to a a story or like you get the initial words out on the page. And then someone is like, okay, here's, what's good. Here's what we can cut. Here's what you need to grow and evolve here. You know, like they, they help pull out the best parts of your idea and they help you not get so attached to stuff that maybe isn't that interesting. So Louise and Kevy were so incredible to work with because not only did they do that for each of my songs, which could be anything from like tracking drum and guitar parts, tracking background vocals to like programming drums, programming synth parts, um, writing melody for me. um, But they also really supported me in trying to interact with my own music as a producer. And they were very encouraging. Like Louise was the reason why I got a MIDI keyboard and started creating songs on GarageBand. And, you know, Kevvy was always kind of willing to talk me through what he was doing on Logic and how to set up like a well-organized song like on your DAW that you use. So that has also been really useful for me because it helps me communicate my ideas better in the studio. Um, And that'll only serve me like the more people that I work with. But, you know, I also... Hope one day, like my goal, would be to you know have some songs or even an album that I that I produce or co-produce with somebody. Um, And their kind of like mentorship on that has been really important.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's always good to be able to know what's happening too, because like sometimes it's always good to leave the magic to other people, but sometimes to be able to see how the magic is created as well, just to sort of see, okay, this is how they took my songs and evolved it. Okay. How do I apply this?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really is like training for the ear. Like even, even when I was getting songs back that were mixed, like before I listened to my songs being mixed, I would not have picked up on the the extreme subtleties that make such a difference when it comes to volume level or vocals being affected in a certain way. So it's been a huge learning process, that I have really loved kind of just like being a student of how music is made.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So of course, the day that this interview releases happens to be the same day that Panorama releases. So after having built up for this album for a while having sitting on some of these songs and otherwise what is it like to finally release this capsule of part of yourself
1: oh that's a good way to describe it a capsule of part of myself it is what it feels like it's kind of like digging up something that i buried five years ago or a couple months ago um it feels i mean it's really incredible um it's scary for sure but also, I've kind of gone through different waves where like a year ago, I was like, oh, I just want to put the album out. Like, I don't want to wait. And then a couple more months go by. It's like, oh, I'm glad we're holding on to it. We got to make a plan. And then especially these past few weeks leading up to the release date, it's I I oscillate between let's put it out now and like, let's never put it out because there's never a perfect time. Right. To put out your first project. Um, but this does feel really quite exciting because it's sort of just I think now I'm I'm I am where I'm at. I kind of feel like with these songs, I'm not that I'm in the past, but like some of these songs are older, and it represents such a breadth of of growth for me. So now with this body of work out, I feel like I've already been writing so much for future projects. But now I kind of feel personally caught up, and like I'm I'm kind of catching other people up who care to listen. So, yeah, it's wild.
0: Awesome, awesome. I love that answer very much. So. Now that the album is out, some people have been able to see hear some of the singles, but maybe haven't been able to see some of the other goodies that come along with these six singles. Where there is six, or these twelve singles, where there's six recorded vocal pieces. So, what exactly do the names Ted, Phyllis, Carol, Bill, and the Colvins mean?
1: <laughs> um. Well, Ted and Phyllis are my paternal grandparents and Bill and Carol Colvin are my maternal grandparents. So, yeah, all four of them are are featured on the album in little vocal clips and that was an idea I had. I mean, I've heard it in other artists' albums before and whenever I get to hear like members of the family or just non-singing clips in people's albums, I really like it. I feel like it's quite an intimate look at kind of beyond just that singular artist we're so focused on the individual person but definitely for me the support of my family and, and so many other people has been instrumental in shaping my sound and my artistic identity so um, I think they're all gonna be really excited maybe to different degrees like my one set of grandparents doesn't necessarily like the spotlight as much but the other two are big extroverts and they'll probably be like thrilled that they're on the album um but yeah it's pretty cool and it was a nice exercise I mean even if you're not making an album if you've got Living grandparents or or elders, or like older people in your life who you really love and look up to, highly recommend taking the time. Just have a conversation with them and record it. I just like put my phone on speakerphone and recorded it on GarageBand. And now not only is it on my album, but I have those conversations forever. So um, those are definitely quite special to me.
0: Mm -hmm. Like you just said, you'll also have those for forever. So the importance of those moments will just continue to grow as time goes
1: hmm. Exactly.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And you mentioned the support of friends and family and of course, uh, friends and family have also helped you out quite a bit on your music videos with your sister, not only acting, but also doing some makeup in a few of your videos, as well as having the same director for as far as I can tell all of your music videos so far. So what has it been like to sort of craft the visual world of Michaela Slinger?
1: Yeah, it's been um it's been such a like unanticipated highlight of the whole process. Like I've always I've always sung and I've been writing songs for so long and I think I've always kind of felt like I would do that part. But thinking about like visual identity music videos, I've appreciated music videos, but the appreciation of them and creating them has just exploded for me since I've actually gotten to do it. And I don't know how it would have worked if I hadn't been collaborating with this team, because as you said, they they happen to be some of my best friends. So my director is Miranda McDougall. And we met in Vancouver, I guess, probably four years ago now and became fast friends. And her and her partner, who is um, one half of East Cherry, which is the media company, and they they shoot and edit um, and help produce, they were just kind of some of the first people I met who were really in their creative industries so wholeheartedly and did not question for a second whether or not I could do music, you know, whereas maybe other people were like, oh yeah, you could do it on the side and and keep doing these other things, but they were like, yeah, of course, you'll make music videos and you'll do albums and put out singles. And so that process of all of us learning together, because when they did Flex for me, that was the first music video they'd done. And now, like, I think the past three weekends, they've been shooting music videos, some for me, some for other artists. Um, and it's just like been amazing to watch their growth and their talent and skill level as we've worked together. And it's also just fun to take risks and try stuff. Like it's not the most natural to be the star of a music video. Um, but when you're with people that you really trust, like I've noticed more confidence in myself and the ability to take risks and fear, feel comfortable in that setting. So yeah, it's been really special. I think every video is so completely different, it's like it's cool, it's like little vignettes of different parts of myself.
0: That's awesome. I really, really enjoy that, and I want to dive into one of the music videos. Of course, we talked about Too Good to Be Great, and it has a really fun music video as well. So is this sort of trying to take on a lyrical interpretation of with this video, or how did that come together?
1: Kind of. I think like Miranda's process as a director, like I'll always share my ideas with her and we chat all the time. And and typically if I share a couple ideas, she'll, she'll listen and and listen more for themes and key ideas for me. And then she'll go away and like create a treatment that's just way better than what I could have come up with. So I kind of wanted, I I really like like playing around with eras and and vintage, like people are always like, Oh, your music sounds 60s or 70s. And I grew up listening to a lot of eighties music. So I was thinking maybe we could do some kind of play on that. And then she listens to my songs before they come out like 8,000 times. She's doing a music video. So she was picking up on some of those lyrical themes, too good to be great. You no, know? like realizing something might kind of be good on paper or might be socially prescribed as a good situation, whether it's relationship or a job, but it's not actually serving you that much in terms of how it makes you feel. So her idea was to kind of take that with the lens of sort of femininity or traditional gender roles in more of like a 50s style music video, play on that and then have my character have this realization in the song that I didn't actually want to just, you know, host dinner parties and, and cook chickens. Um, and then there's this kind of cool dreamlike sequence in the bridge where I'm having more of my like CEO moment with my cigar and my, my scotch, but then I have to come back and clean up the mess that I've made. So it was really fun. I like that dream sequence. I loved playing with characters and it felt like a bit of an homage to my, Musical theater, childhood days, performing in character and costume and, and doing dances. So it felt quite full circle, which was nice.
0: Okay, so you have some stage experience beforehand. So were you the person who choreographed all those amazing dance moves with you in the vacuum then?
1: That was Miranda. I mean, some of it I would say was a bit of an ad lib. The, uh, the, full, the full body squat with the vacuum, that was all me. But uh, no, the stuff that actually looked more polished, that that was Miranda.
0: <laughs> OK, OK. I just wasn't sure if they just let you go and do your thing and you're swimming and doing the arms shaking and stuff. Yeah, um...
1: yeah. Some some of those were a bit freestyle. You know, you kind of want to have have freedom within constraints. There are certain portions that was like, just dance. And by that point in the shoot, like, at you know, they had me smoke a cigar and drink scotch and red wine from the bottle at like 10 a.m. So I was good to dance. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Awesome. And of course, your music videos have been finding success as well with your YouTube page recently passing over half a million views and two of your music videos that you've released this year breaking that six digit mark. So what is it like to sort of begin to have that success in the video area too? Yeah, it's
1: exciting. I mean, Metrics are a funny thing. I think if you're in the creative industry, you, you kind of strive after them and you definitely watch them. But if you pay too much attention to them, it can kind of feel like you're, you're snuffing the candle in a sense because you know, there's other videos that, that don't do that. So I think to, to sort of focus on the positive and the excitement is just the thought of like 100,000 unique viewers like watching this thing that I've created. And they've stuck around long enough for that to actually register as watch time. That's quite cool to me. Um, just to imagine that it's sort of like beyond the scope of people that I could name or recognize on the street uh, at this point. That's really exciting. Is to figure out like how people want to kind of mold and use the songs in their own life, and and just even to see like people like someone's created a montage of something else for like some cause, and they use "Make You Sad" in the background, or somebody put my song "Flux" to their year in review Instagram story that they posted. It's like that stuff to me is really incredible that I'm just starting to get to that point where people are taking my music and like remaking it um to fit within the story of their own life. It's pretty cool to watch.
0: Yeah. And soon you'll see people squatting with vacuums on TikTok.
1: <laughs> yeah, where's the like cleaning side of TikTok? I need to obviously infiltrate that. Teach people how to vacuum. Clearly.
0: Fun. Clearly. <laughs> All right. So another way that you've given art or the fans, the viewers, another look into Michaela Slinger is by releasing a lot of acoustic versions of these songs as well. Is this something you've always wanted to do? Was this something that 604 came to you with? How did those come together?
1: Yeah, I, um, well, I write most of my songs, as I said, kind of acoustically first, typically on the guitar maybe on the piano sometimes I'm like creating the tracks on garage band as I'm going but I think that most of my songs have have their own identity as an acoustic song as well as a full track and to me that's kind of how it all started like growing up when I would perform for different like benefit concerts or things like that it often was just me and a microphone um, and then when I got older maybe me and an instrument but quite stripped back and I think that's a really important part of my artistry because my lyrics are like the things that I kind of hold the closest to my chest. And so you just hear the story of the song in a different way when it's acoustic, I think, as opposed to a full track that you might hear on Spotify. So yeah, I love, I love recording those, um, in a perfect world, I'd be performing them. Like when I was performing in Vancouver before the pandemic, I would always, even if it was a a four or five track, uh, set, you know, I would always try to perform an acoustic song just to switch things up and have people fo- focus solely on the vocals and on the lyrics and then get into the groove of the fuller track with a different song. So that's been really fun. And it's a mix of covers and of my own songs.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's it is it sometimes it's maybe those live moments where you break out the acoustic guitar, where it's that moment that really clicks inside someone's head and makes them remember that moment forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been to some shows where you know, the artist gets the audience to quiet down and they just do something on the piano or on the guitar. And those definitely stick with you, especially like in a, in a big venue, but no matter the size.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned that, of course, you've had some time to continue crafting more songs and otherwise constantly on the go. So what does the future have for Michaela Slinger that you can possibly let us know?
1: Oh man! I mean, right now I think I'm just uh, looking forward to when we're able to do shows again in a in a safe way. Um, I'm hoping that this summer I'll be able to do what I did last summer and and do some outdoor shows, like some some COVID safe shows. But I really miss performing and would love to get back to that. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to collaborate in person again with people, and I'm totally like itching to get back in the studio and and record some of these new things that I've been working on. Um, but but also I just want to take the time to kind of see what happens when the album comes out and, and connect with people who maybe have found me for the first time. Um and just enjoy the process that it's out and not rush to the next thing without taking stock of like this process, how much I've learned, how many people have invested their time and skill into it. And you know, I'll probably also like go for a lot of walks and hopefully camp and not be on screens all day every day. I hope the same for you, too. I hope this summer brings us some screen-free time.
0: I I really, truly hope so. I mean, as lovely as the apartment can be, it's always nice to get outside, too. (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh-huh.
0: All right, Michaela. I've had a fantastic time talking so far. I have one last question. Are you ready for it? Let's do it. All right. So, as someone who seems to be uh, very reminiscent, I'm very excited to ask this question. So... (laughs) This process of crafting this debut EP, releasing a few singles, finally getting to this point of releasing this capsule, as we said, of yourself. Mm-hmm. What has this process taught you about yourself or how has it helped you grow?
1: Oh, um. okay. I'll give my specific answer first and then, and then my big one. I think in terms of how it's helped me grow as an artist. It's really made me realize how crucial it is to have people around you who support you and who who are collaborating on your project. I think there's a bit of apprehension that other people were putting on me early on when I signed the 604. I think maybe for people that don't know or who've heard like a bad story, they equate, you know, young artists signing with label equals like loss of creative freedom um and for me that just couldn't be further from the truth like my vision has been supported and elevated and i've just like had so many talented people who have invested time and energy in me so i think i would kind of go back and tell myself two years ago like it's okay to to sign on to a a team or a group of people you don't have to do absolutely everything by yourself um that being said like if you're an independent artist like there's also so much to learn from that process. Like I released flux by myself, but it's been such a joy to let people who are skilled at their thing, do their thing. And then let me do the thing that I love to do that. I think I'm, I'm like better at writing songs than I am at like crafting, you know, ads for a uh, video, let's say. So that's been really special to work with people who are so talented. And then I think the other thing is um, on that note, no one is going to care about your project or your vision or your passion as much as you do. And that's not to like slag anybody you work with. It's just like literally no one is as invested in your own life as you are. Maybe, maybe your, your parents, if like your parents, I know my parents are really supportive, but they don't know the ins and outs of what I want to do. And the next video I see the next single concept, right? Like I do. So it's really taught me that there's a time and place for going with the flow and a time and place for being your own self-advocate And if I don't put out that idea or suggest it, no, no one else is going to suggest it. So I think it's been fun to kind of, um, experience that self-trust and challenge myself to like speak up and share ideas, push back. If there's something that I don't like, um, be open to new ideas and figure out how to make them my own. But yeah, it's been, that'll, that'll be an ongoing process for life. But I think, yeah, it's a big takeaway for me is, uh. You've got to be your own number one fan a lot of times.
0: (laughs) All right. Awesome. Very, very true words. And I love the answer. So I just want to say thank you so very much, Michaela, for joining us here on the Desert Tiger Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, Ambush. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. This conversation with Michaela Slinger, and you can find Panorama right now in its entirety on your favorite music streaming service. When you're there, hit follow so that when Michaela has more music down the road, it can be in your notifications, in your hands, and in your ears ASAP. With that, it's now time to give Michaela Slinger a final roaring DTP thank you for joining us here on today's episode of the show. I have to thank the amazing Mackenzie from Strut Entertainment for going ahead and helping with setting this conversation up. I need to thank German from yourpodcasteditor.com for making this episode sound so good. I need to thank you, the M. Bush, for tuning on in. If you have yet to join up with the M yet, it's as easy as subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast, listening service, or app. You can also help the DTP grow by sharing this episode. You can review the show with a big ol' five stars. You can also head on over to DesertTigerMerch.com to copy yourself something to represent and support the show. And it's about time that we say our bye-byes now, but not before I tell you to go out and find your mountaintop, your oasis, your roar, the thing that makes your heart wanna burst out from your chest, makes you wanna get out there and do things, find your roar. And once you found it, let it out to the world and let them know just how wondrous, how powerful, how beautiful you and your roar are capable of being because you are all of this and oh so much more. And until the next episode of the DTP, Bye bye, Ambush. The Desert Tiger Podcast.